Hello and welcome back to A Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today I'll be speaking about something I wrote and sent out through our newsletter and I uh, announced on our social media, Creative Solutions to the World's Biggest Challenges, or certainly Big Challenges. And you know what those are could be a matter of discussion. And uh, yet we all have our own version of what we feel are the most challenging and difficult issues of our time. And you have, you could say, the eagle's view, looking from above and looking at the changing face of our planet from, let's say, a moon perspective, a lunar perspective. And many could say that we are nothing short of lunar in the way that we have managed our beautiful Earth. And I think there would be some validity to that comment. At the same time, looking from the so-called helicopter or elevated point of view gives us a larger perspective on matters such as climate, what is heating up, what is drying up, what is hydrated, what is cooler. So these are the basics of life. We really need to think in terms of physics, if you will, as well as biology, of what are those forces that are impacting us day by day, hour to hour, and minute by minute. And those are the forces, of course, of gravity, always, um, unless we're in a flotation tank and we temporarily get suspended from the power and force of gravity, or in the Dead Sea, that's true, because of the salt content, and we float then, of course, there are those uh, in the TM movement who believe they can levitate and literally lift their physical body off the ground in a sustained way, and I think that's fantastic. I have yet to see it and would like to. I surely would. Uh, do I believe that such a thing is possible? Absolutely. Are practitioners doing it? Maybe. And it could just be my own um, lack of uh, exposure to that reality that accounts for my shrugging my shoulders. But it's not because of doubt of its potential uh, occurrence, not at all. My worldview is rather large, somewhere between large and infinite. So uh, when we look, though, from this larger perspective, we, we see that things are either heating or cooling, hydrating or dehydrating, and, of course, always subject to gravity. So these are kind of the, the basics. Things are either in motion or they're uh, in a state of inertia. Things are either in order or they are in entropy and chaos. These are the choices. There are actually not that many, um, although I'm totally open to someone with a greater understanding of physics to to enlighten me about this. I will say something that I refer to as all the time, that I don't speak about so much as the force inside physics, but in some way it is. I wouldn't think of it as pressure, 
but I would say that it's in a way information pressure. <laughs> I never thought of it quite that way, but yeah, and that is this. The information that is packed into the morphogenetic field, uh, or as Tilad de Chardin referred to it as the noosphere, is such that it is influencing our psyche and our bodies moment to moment. And that is a quantum field, you could say, of energy, of intelligence, of information, and literally, quantitatively, of data points that are affecting, infecting our psyche and our own belief systems, even, no doubt, on some level, our DNA. So these are, you know, some of the forces at play in our lives moment to moment, from the somatic, more physical, to the psychic, more energetic, but no less for a moment exerting its own force and presence. So with that said, when we look from above, down we get to see some of these in motion and we can start to gather some valuable information about where we stand is the planet drying up and if so where and in what quantity uh you know what magnitude of that drying up uh um function and or is it flooding or where is it in between and what land masses are experiencing what and with what kind of um, uh, quantity, volume, pressure. So that's one. And as we begin to sort of zoom in, we get uh, the complexions and the tones of the colors, you could say, of the different other kinds of aspects of what's going on in our terrestrial ecosystem. And what becomes rather apparent is that there is one species that is sort of um, running the show, and that, of course, is the human species. And uh, I, that is actually also up for discussion, because it could be that the fungus are having a heyday, parasites and yeast are having a heyday, viruses and bacteria are utterly in their glory because there's so much on which to feast. Um, so I have to be careful about saying about on the external level, it may appear that humans are running the show. But if you look at life from the point of view of these other uh, living beings, which they are, of course, they may say the opposite. They are saying the more humans are and the more prevalent they are in number and with their current uh, food supply, etc., we're the ones benefiting the most because we're eating them. <laughs> so everything, as I've said a thousand times or more, is perspective, i.e., everything. So, uh, nonetheless, I, I'm going to make some relative, relativistic types of statements, and we will kind of launch forward from there. Uh, we'll jump from that bridge when we get to it, as we say. Um, so, 
the more we start to zoom in, the more we see that human beings don't treat their planet with very much respect, with much gratitude, and they don't treat each other or other animals with great respect or gratitude. There are glaringly wonderful, brilliant uh, exceptions to that, largely in indigenous communities that are being um, marginalized and diminished all over the planet, most unfortunately, and in some ways actually being more acknowledged for the wisdom that they have held, especially in regard to heaven and earth, than in the past. And for that, I'm very grateful. And uh, to see that step forward in our uh, cultural evolution. Uh, but as I say, the more we zoom in, the more we see that we don't treat each other, even in our own so-called geographic ethnic groups, very kindly or very lovingly. And one has to scratch one's head when one makes note of that. So I'm saying all of this in light of um, identifying a series of different challenges that are providing, you know, that are presenting themselves literally day by day. And as a result of some of these challenges, there are wars taking place. They say that at any given time there are somewhere between 70 and 85 wars are sometimes they refer them to them these days as conflicts, as though that sounds much better, uh, that are happening anywhere on the planet between Asia and Africa and the Middle East and South America and on and on and on. Some of them may be better described as skirmishes than wars, but there are, you know, transactions taking place around across borders or within borders some of which, for instance, is going on in Syria, some of which is going on in Libya, some of which is going on in Sudan, some of which is going on uh, to some extent in Algeria, um, Tunisia, um, certainly the Middle East, um, in uh, the UAE. I just, it just goes on. Yemen is the most obvious of them all. Afghanistan, Iraq... What have we done? Just what have we done? So maybe the biggest problem is the human mind and its lack of clarity, its incoherence, its cottoning to certain kinds of bizarre and narrow belief systems that have some groups of people thinking they are better than others or somehow more privileged and deserving than others or genders that feel that way. And, oh my God, these, I'm saying, are sicknesses. They are based on lack of information lack of proper education, lack of uh, thinking in a disciplined way, or even creative thinking. 
that would be designed around um, sustaining and preserving the species and the ecosystem at large. So I think you're with me, or you're not, with zooming in and zeroing in on many of the problems that begin to present themselves the deeper you look, the deeper you go. And, of course, it's up to us to deal with these on any number of levels. So let me just start. Our show isn't going to be a long one today. But let me just start with the idea that if you don't have a habitat, if you don't have a shelter with food and water, you're toast. <laughs> toast? That might come in handy. Uh, we're, we're, you know, finished, you know, in a word. Um, we're finished. It's the end of the species. If we don't have a place that's habitable, meaning there is relatively clean drinking water uh, and there's relatively clean air for breathing and relatively decent food for eating, we will become sicker and closer to dying from lack of nourishment, from the water, from the food, from the air. And we die of uh, loneliness also because you can't hang out very well with other members of the species if you're feeling so sick because you haven't had any nourishment on these basic levels. So you could say that your home ultimately is the multidimensional world. Well, that's okay. But one of those dimensions includes three dimensions, which is Earth. And it's not by mistake that we're here and we have to reckon with this reality. And I sure wish more people would get that message through their head that preserving the earth, conserving the earth, conserving her riches and wealth uh, that are here abundantly for all is step numero uno. And it's important really to digest that fact that we are here, we have to preserve and protect our delicately arranged ecosystem after millions of years of experimentation by Mother Nature and refinements, and we have this extraordinary ecosystem, and the more you look at it, the more impressed one gets with it, how finely tuned the presence of every single living being is affecting the whole. So, yes, that means mosquitoes have a very real function in the larger ecosystem. Without them, there is trouble in River City. Bees are one of those very obvious uh, uh, functions, provide a function of fertilizing flowers and therefore our food sources. Uh, you can go across turtles, frogs, trees, flowers. Wherever you go, microbially, fungally, you will see from the tiniest to the largest elephants that all beings play a miraculous role in the larger systemic picture. Yeah, that's right. So how about respecting every single level from fungus 
and virus all the way to the elements, or the woolly mammoth, for that matter, and uh, extrapolate, extrapolate the next level to Mother Earth herself, her soil, all of her beautiful growths, trees, meadows, water cascading, on and on. Just as our native peoples on Turtle Island, as it was called, it seems, uh, do in the heart of their wisdom teachings. It's always a deep, abiding respect for what we call Gaia, or in Quechua, Pachamama. And that's the living beingness of Mother Earth herself. As a being, as a being, not as some kind of inanimate, you know, rock that we kind of uh, are living on. No, no, this is a living, growing, evolving being that's the most enlightened, probably best informed, indigenous way, and even Western intellectual way, from my point of view, to think about the reality of this planet or as Buckminster Fuller called it, spaceship on which we live. And that's also true. It's a spaceship coursing through the galaxy and the solar system and hence the Earth, uh, the, uh, the universe. So, again, everything, my friends, is perspective. And that's why I like to frame things, if you will, in these kinds of ways. But let's get down to Earth now for a moment or two. Uh, in our relatively short uh, show today. And that would be to say that the other serious problems that are facing human society is the lack of the distribution of wealth, that this idea of wealth um, in the form that is of money, because so often I have said, I am incredibly wealthy spiritually. Someday I'll have some money too. And, uh, you know, it's kind of an interesting way of seeing that wealth is really in our life force itself, that we can breathe and we can move and we can have fun and love each other and show compassion for each other and touch each other and engage with one another on all levels, physically, intellectually, emotionally, energetically, spiritually, all of these lend to the true riches of our lives and souls. And we have taken the idea of wealth in so many ways and kind of tunneled it, tunnel-visioned it into this one, one thing called money. And yet money, when expanded upon, is just life force itself anyway. So it's kind of one of those fractal realities. It's just kind of amusing the more we play with it. But it's important to understand the, if you will, the absolute and the relativistic nature of what it is um, I'm talking about here. So when you're talking about the, um, of the omission of wealth among material wealth, economic, money wealth, among the many, and it's concentrated in the hands of the few, and the level of concentration is not, it's just not to be believed. It's, it's too maddening 
to even begin to digest that there are, what do they say, some 135 individuals or families on the entire planet that own somewhere between 80 and 90% of its wealth and assets. I mean, it's almost hard to say and truly hard to intellectually conceive that such a vast disparity could be true. But in our crazy world, it could well be true. And so even if it's off by 50% or 75%, in a way it doesn't really matter. What it's pointing the finger to, my friends, is the need, the initial, the severe need to balance this out. Nature abhors a vacuum, and nature also abhors imbalance, and she will always strive to balance the elements. That's what goes on. And that, by the way, includes money. Now, what is the time frame of that balancing act? Well, some things happen immediately. Something happen, things happen in what we would call the medium term and other things in the longer term. So I would not have a date specific for that phenomenon, but the more it's recognized and the more people speak up, the more it can happen, the more actionable ultimately it can be. And there are economists and there are billionaires that utterly are aghast and appalled at the disparities. And many are doing a lot about changing it around. Some millionaires and billionaires are saying, tax us more. To me, that's not the only answer, although that is part of it. One has a lot to do with the utter, absolutely outrageous waste of money which has to do largely with our military budget, which is vastly bloated and far beyond, here I mean in uh, the United States, far beyond the expenditures of any other country by at least 10 times, at least 10 times. My numbers are a little off because while I remember a lot of things, uh, the numbers of these types of stats, don't really stick with me so well. But I'm always conservative with them. So if I'm wrong, I'm wrong not by overstating but by understating. So at least that, right? At least that. So it might be closer to 50 times more than all other nations who have militaries. And by the way, all of them have militaries except for Costa Rica. They have their own form of military that isn't discussed much. Um, it's not a military with guns in a uniform, but it is people at the supermarkets and the stores and on the street that are policing and pat- patrolling because there is violence and there is danger and there are threats in Costa Rica too beautiful as the island may be, or not island, but country, um, may be. There's not the vertical consciousness for utter peace. They may be closer to it, but 
we don't have that anywhere on the planet just yet. We are countries that are closer, I would say, uh, but no one country is free from the menace and the unconsciousness uh, that gives rise to things like violence and war. So we've got a lot of work cut out for ourselves. That's for sure. So coming back around, now that I've outlined a series of areas that need attention, and I am saying that global warming is the largest, and as we zoom in, we see uh, prejudice and bigotry and self-importance and righteousness and uh, economic disparity of an extreme sort, and that leads to social disparity and social extremeness and... um, Political. It all is of uh, a piece. These are not separate subjects. And it leads to another major problem on the planet Earth among humans, which is human trafficking. People actually sell human bodies and body parts, by the way. That's a whole other conversation. But sell usually women, but not only, and I shouldn't really say girls, into one form or another of slavery, largely for sex, but also for, you know, householding and domesticity and any number of different, and sometimes it's, you know, child labor and working in factories seven days a week with very little pay and little access to going to the bathroom or having food to eat or water to drink. I mean, these are the ways that human beings are treating each other in the 21st century, and it's abysmal, and I am definitely blowing the whistle on it because I don't think that there's any excuse for it, even though the world is abundant with excuses. To me, they are just a bunch of stories. Now, I can follow the, the narrative of these stories, and I can come to understand why these things may take place because Cause it all goes back, my friends, to a certain belief system. And if the belief system is, I'm not good enough to merit having more to sustain my life and my family's life, therefore, because of corrupt systems everywhere, and there are, I need, we need to resort to doing these other things that are wholly unethical wholly against the ways of the heart, and nothing anybody could feel good about. So you see how the dots connect here, I believe. We're going to exploit Mother Earth because I don't see that I have any other way to earn these kinds of dollars. Uh, So I'm going to exploit her and take her richness and her resources in the form of gold and silver and platinum and ore of every sort and precious metals and rare earth metals and oil and you name it, they're mine. And so people aggregate and hoard and others starve and are overworked to mine those uh, mineral assets on and on and on and on. So you've got all these disparities. So solutions. What if, let's just take that last as an example of mineral mines, be they gold, silver, diamonds, 
rare earth metals. It doesn't matter. That's not the subject. The subject is, can I treat other people well? Can I treat others the way I would like myself to be treated? With the answer to that, we could get a far distance. Well, sure, we all want to be treated well. We all want to be treated fairly and justly and equitably, right? I mean, so what if we use that as our moral compass? Is that going too far? The problem is we're not going far enough in that direction. It comes to us from every single wisdom tradition, Christian, Jewish, Buddhist, Taoist, Zoroastrian, all of them, Muslim, or should say Islamic, all of them have this fundamental tenet of, you know, it's usually expressed as the Christians do, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, treat others as you want to be treated, and have that as your moral compass. That means you'll take care of people. Oh, my God. Oh, so if we reduce our profit margin by 20% and we're still making a very handsome uh, profit and I distribute that 20% among all of the workers in the mines and in the office and everything else. And then we take another 20% to make sure our uh, systems are eco-friendly, that are zero waste, that are non-toxic, that are doing no damage, that have low or no carbon footprint. Wow, I still have 60% of profits. Now, you know, what does that mean? I mean, in real world terms, let's just say that a markup on something is 30%, let's just say. And we've just reduced that by 60% taking care of better payment to uh, staff, employees, and 20% for caring for the earth, and 20% for miscellaneous that might be going to feed both of those or to feed people in the area literally or to buy them hoes or shovels or chickens or uh, fresh good soil and seeds, whatever, that's still leaving. So if, even if it left 40% of 30%, I'm just making this up as a hypothetical, you're still talking about, I don't know, around 10 or 12% return on what will probably be the investment of hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. So it's not chicken feed. It actually comes up numerically, quantitatively, to a lot of money for the owners, the investors, whomever. And I just made those numbers up. They can be altered and modified as needed per context. But it gives sort of a, a model of thinking about how we can create a better world through something as simple as taking what is 100% profit and redistributing it among workers who are not well paid, as we all well know. They are usually poorly paid. So you're upgrading their own sense of security. You are making their lives easier and more enjoyable. You are taking care of Mother Earth so there is no 
backlash happening there, and that will cost everyone less money and hospital bills and environmental cleanup and all of that just goes bye-bye. And then you've got, say, 10 or 20% for things that we haven't thought of and taken into consideration here. Um, and I'll just leave that to your imagination, including uh, maybe charitable donations or empowering the people around the mine or even the oil rig and say, hey, look, you know, you have sacrificed some of the beauty of your land for the sake of our enterprise. I don't like it, and you don't like it, and no one does. So we're going to, we're going to mark a certain amount of money per year toward beautification and toward making sure your soil that you live on nearby is healthy. And we're going to provide different mechanisms for you uh, with money uh, to help you live a healthy, happy, sustainable life just around where we are doing what we're doing. You see, there are just so many fun, interesting, charitable, generous, acts that can take place and it's still a for-profit system not a problem it's a good thing it's just that we're going for what i've always referred to as moderate profit moderate profit not making a killing because when you make a killing people die it's a phrase that has meaning and we need to deconstruct it so we can speak correctly and speak our truth and act on that truth. It's not mysterious. So how can you imagine that if we were to do this, implement these kinds, this kind of thought process across the board in business and in the arts and in government, how much more of a balanced world we would have. It's interesting. One of the presidential candidates in the Democratic uh, Party in the United States of America is Andrew Yang, a New Yorker. Uh, we've reached out to each other to have him on the show. And he's uh, kind of a tech you know, millionaire or billionaire. I don't really know. But he's made a lot of money. And interestingly, he has proposed that each either part person or family, I'll have to get that straightened out, in the United States would be pay $1,000 a month. Talk about economic redistribution. And where's that money going to come from? Well, number one, let's not go into that. It's there. It's always been there. And it's just moving decimals on a ledger. Come on. Let's get real. That's what it is. It's not. There's no inherent value to the dollar bill except for the value we attribute. So I can go into that in greater depth another time. But for our purposes tonight, my friends, I just want to say the money is there. And if you want to use the money that's already in circulation instead of inventing more and printing more, no problem. You go to this incredibly overbloated military budget, and you start chipping away, and in no time you will have Social Security replenished. 
You will have social programs replenished, the only thing the government does for, for its people, and you will have money for Andrew Yang's recommendation. Plenty of money with some left over. Oh, by the way, yes, you have to tax U.S. companies um, that now pay no tax. And, oh, by the way, they also happen to be the biggest and the wealthiest of them all. And you know who I'm talking about, of course. We're talking about Apple and Google and Facebook. What, what gives, man? How could Amazon, how could they be paying no taxes because of a few loopholes? Oh, come on. Let's not get started. So with those things brought to greater equity, quite literally, and taking steps specifically around global warming, which I've spoken about at length uh, time and time again, and for which I usually refer to Paul Hawken and Catherine Wilkinson's major opus called Drawdown, the most comprehensive plan ever proposed to reverse global warming. And this is the aggregation of a couple of hundred scientists around the world over the course of several years having done diligent study of what creates the greatest global warming and what actions can be taken to reduce and not only reduce but to reverse and it can be done granted there are tipping points that have been passed and probably are not reversible but that's just reality that's called being unconscious and greedy and stupid for a long long time during which let's say the last 100 or 200 years we could have been implementing much systems but alas here we are and we're doing it now <laughs> we're making many valiant efforts many people are making valiant efforts to turn this ship around and it's working. It's actually working. Even without government participation, it's working. If government were to get behind it, such as the Green New Deal or any facsimile thereof, uh, it would be um, quantumized. The speed at which we're moving would be accelerated, and I'm all for that because as many of us have said for a long time, this needs to be regarded as the Marshall Plan of the 21st century. And it's actually sad to see what we have done, but it's also exciting to see what we can do. And we do have technologies that can be very much in service uh, instead of just trying to surveil us and mine us the way so many companies and people are doing um, online and everywhere else, uh, but we're actually working as a team, as a family, as a species in coordination with each other, we can really do a lot. So I'll just mention some things I've mentioned in brief in the past. One is uh, a company I work with that A Better World works with. Uh, that is replacing what Paul Hawken and Catherine Wilkinson and the rest of their team have identified as the very worst of them all issue polluting our 
uh, ozone layer and uh, adding toxins to our atmosphere, and that's the subject of refrigerant management. Not only do we have a freon replacement, because that's really where the damage is, we have a replacement that's green and eco-friendly, but there are even refrigeration systems which are being redesigned, re-engineered, so they're not toxic and asking for toxic uh, materials. So this is being addressed. Next, wind turbines that are onshore. Yes, uh, Better World is working with the company that has uh, an onshore wind technology that is breakthrough, that uh, is bird-friendly, by the way, and makes no noise and can take coal uh, smokestacks and turn them into um, wind tunnels. Uh, and it, they, this technology would bring the cost of electricity down worldwide to under a penny per kilowatt hour. Well under a penny per kilowatt hour. Are you kidding me, man? I'm not. Reduced food waste is the next in uh, the book drawdown. Great. We have ways of taking food waste and transmuting it into biochar, which is a form of fertilizer, into fuel for jets, uh, even though I was part of an electric motor company that had been proven, the motor had been proven to be, you could be used for helicopters. We never went as far as jets to have it tested. But, uh, you know, there are things that are being worked on right now about changing that. But in the meantime, we have products that can come out from food waste. There are people that can be fed with food waste. On it goes. So we're just about out of time today, folks, but I'm giving you these few uh, examples of things that really can be done, creative solutions, and many of the social issues as well as economic pivot on this one phrase, treat others as you yourself would want to be treated or demand to be treated, and you deservingly demand, DD, deservingly demand, for good reason. We are all beautiful, shining lights. We have so much to offer. Let's stay on this side of integrity and kindness and compassion, as well as good work ethic, and we can really make things go. We can change, we can reform, we can restore, all through reconsidering and using our prefrontal cortex in conjunction with our heart, create heart coherence, use our mind rationally, not out of a feeling of emotional deprivation or loss or trauma. These are very real issues that need to be looked at on their own ground, and we can truly turn this ship around. Thanks so much for listening. Remember that we are a 501c3. Your donations and contributions are so welcomed. If you want uh, personal or executive coaching through me, contact me at mjr at abetterworld.net. If you do not yet get our newsletter, please go to www 
abetterworld.tv and get on our mailing list. It's free. It's for you. And I look forward to seeing you all next week. This is Mitchell J. Rabin for A Better World. Please pass this on to your friends and colleagues. Let them get the benefit of these ideas and words. God bless. Thank you. I'll see you soon.